the most noteworthy aspect of the next 12 months will be the receptiveness of other provinces to Ontario's model and whether we will see decision makers and lawmakers in other provinces that decide to cede what essentially has been a long-standing legislative monopoly over lawful gambling and open up their digital gaming borders. You're listening to the Gaming News Canada show with Steve McAllister, recorded live on LinkedIn Audio. Follow Steve on LinkedIn to join the live audience. Good afternoon, everybody. It's the Gaming News Canada show on LinkedIn Audio. It's Thursday, April 6, 2023. I'm your host, Steve McAllister, the editor-in-chief of Gaming News Canada. We have a very active hour or pieces of an hour as we'll uh, we'll discuss over the next 60 minutes or so the uh, Canadian Gaming Association's Leaders Forum on Tuesday, marking the one-year anniversary of Ontario's regulated sports betting and iGaming uh, industry. Joined, as always, by Amanda Brewer, Country Manager of Canada for Kindred Group, uh, Mark Silver, the CEO and founder of Parlay Media Group. We expect to be joined by Will Hill of Sightline Payments. We'll go around the horn here, and it's, it's a, it's a, it's a sh- very short horn right now, but, I mean, I'll just start by saying it was... Uh, you know, on, on a lighter note, it was a great opportunity on Tuesday to uh, to get together with about 150 people from across the industry, mostly familiar faces at the Toronto Region Board of Trade. For me, it was just a really good day to uh, to renew acquaintances with people across the industry. You know, a lot of jokes about, you know, usually people are flying to, to New Jersey and and London and Las Vegas and other parts of the world to, to see see your peers around the Canadian gaming gaming industry. And then I think it was just a really uh, informative uh, and insightful day. And uh, for anyone who's read the newsletter today, I mean, it, there were there were quite a few learnings for at least the Gaming News Canada newsletter from from what happened over the day. But uh, Amanda, I'll just turn over to you for a f- few minutes on on your thoughts about the day in general. Yeah, I thought it was really great as I had had a conversation with Martha Otten um, ahead of time. And I said, you know what, it's really a day of celebration because we were all crossing our fingers. We had thought that Ontario would have a chance to really show what it was you know, capable of when the first year results came out. And I think it has pleased everyone. Um, as I will forever remind everyone, Ontario is a very unique jurisdiction. It was a gray market, so it meant that the AGCO was also trying to convince a whole bunch of very entrenched gray market operators that they had to come in and get licensed, in addition to attracting operators who'd never been here before. So the channelization rate was really great to see. And also, I think just from a revenue generation standpoint, if you've got your finance minister happy and your attorney general happy, then you've, you've pretty much done your job for the year. So it was great to have that news coming out. But just, I think, just it, the Toronto Board of Trades in the new building down by the waterfront, it was a, it was a great space to be in. Um, and we finally have people who are actually Canadians who are experts in this industry who can now and talk who can now come and talk about their industry? So it was really a, a, a you know a lot of goodwill in the room, um, a lot of support for where things are going to go in year two, um, and thanks to the Levies and the Score for hosting the reception afterwards because it was nice just to you know raise a glass and just you know congratulate everyone because that was you know IGO AGCO and all the licensed operators who were all pulling and pushing together to to make this as, as successful as it was in its first year. Uh, Will Hill, the Vice President of Business Development for... There he is. Hi, Will. (laughs) 
<laughs> I apologize. I, I'm running a couple minutes behind again for the second consecutive week. Uh, and for someone that prides himself on punctuality, uh, this is a, a source of no small embarrassment to me. Uh, but I'm present and accounted for. Um, and I'll echo a lot of what Amanda just said. Um, it was a, a, a great day um, and you know, filled with celebration, and, and rightfully so. Um, I think on the, the big psychic balance sheet, as I review the first 365 days, um, there's more pros than cons, more things that we got right um, than things that we got wrong or our obstacles or impediments um, that got put in the way. Um, those largely have, have been navigated successfully. Um, so there, there quite rightfully was a feeling of optimism in the room. Um, as people were asked about, you know, what does it look like in two to five to 10 years, everyone while acknowledging that the current day market is highly competitive, uh, was speaking with, with excitement um, and, and talking of the promise and potential uh, of, of future days that, you know, acknowledging that the first 365 days might be the hardest 365 days in, in, a, in a rather long and extended journey. So um, I quite enjoyed myself um, and, and was quite buoyed by uh, the spirit in the room uh, throughout the uh, the entirety of the day. Yeah, and I want to get Mark Silver in here too, because Mark comes at this from a little bit different perspective, given Parley's not an operator. Um, Mark, just uh, would love to get your thoughts on the day. It was an amazing day. Celebratory on one hand, collaboration, some insights that were just, just not available. And from all players in the ecosystem, as we... You know, we were talking about for the last two years on Steve's forum here, which is like, this is going to float all the boats. And I think we saw that on Tuesday. The one piece that really occurred to me coming out of Tuesday was that this country is just getting started. It's one province. And yes, it may take some time and because of the timing of provincial uh, elections, but it's, it's unbelievable the amount of opportunity and excitement that this industry has right now. And uh, just thrilled that you know, we have a place with you know, the Homestand Sports brand and, and Steve's Forum and Gaming News Canada to be right there, you know, in the midst of it. I'll add a couple of thoughts. I mean, we, we were kind of, I think all of us were kind of laughing or, or, you know, just having a bit of fun on Tuesday with, you heard the word collaboration an awful lot, but not so coincidentally, the our, our YouTube video in the newsletter this morning with, with Judith Dunham and the Seekers performing Kumbaya, that was, that was actually one of our most popular clicked on links. So <laughs> maybe that just means everybody's in a lighthearted mood going into a a long weekend. Well, maybe I'll just start with you. We took a what we learned approach to the, the newsletter, and I just wonder if there were one or, one or two topics that really stuck out uh, to you during the day. I, you know, I found it, I'll, I'll maybe just start off. I mean, I found it interesting when Dave Pridmore, Chief Gaming Officer for OLG, spoke uh, first thing on Tuesday morning, talked about that the regulated market had actually, to quote Dave, a, a kick in the butt and, and for OLG, and they realized they had to step up their game and and that this highly competitive market hasn't actually had a positive impact on their, their business. And Dave talked about revenue growth and a sharper focus on digital that was long overdue. Maybe, well, you might want to talk about that, but I wonder some of the other things that stuck out from the day as well. Sure. Let me go with, with OLG first, my former employer, um, and remind everyone that this has been a remarkably successful institution for decades. This is uh, an organization that has in the past, in most pre-pandemic days, um, reached $8 billion in annual revenue um, and turned over $2.5 billion in, in net profit to the province um, after giving out hundreds of millions or billions 
in stakeholder payments uh, from lottery retailer commissions, uh, public funding to horse racing, uh, support for responsible gambling, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, this is also an organization that is the only two-time winner ever in the entire world of uh, the best responsible gambling program globally. Uh, so this is, this is you know, a, a, a really, really strong and, and well-run organization that does good work, um, has the benefit of a lot of brand equity uh, built up over, over decades of operations here in Ontario. Um, and as it relates to digital, um, has uh, the unencumbered legal authority and exclusive authority to sell lottery tickets digitally. I mean, that's, that's, don't kid yourself. That is an absolutely huge thing, particularly in the wake of a pandemic, uh, where people shifted their habits during the lockdown to buy things more digitally, um, not just lottery tickets, but, but virtually everything else in, in their walk, walks of life uh, went from sort of a, a land-based retail form to a, a more digital form. Um, and so it doesn't surprise me at all. Uh, that their numbers, even in the face of newly legitimized and legalized competition, um, have gone up. Um, you struck it right there on the head, Steve, when you, when you talked about uh, a kick in the butt. I mean, I, I could tell you for years uh, when I was still there, I, I didn't leave the organization until January 2021. Um, so there was a period after the provincial government um, mentioned in its 2019 budget that, that this open online market was coming, where you know, OLG was was given fair warning, um, and while there was a, a, some uh, dread and anticipation of what uh, new competition would mean, uh, they did have time to prepare themselves um, and have acquitted themselves quite well. So my hats off to them um, on continually improving performance in what is still for them uh, a nascent part of their operations. I mean, you have to remember. Um, uh, Play OLG, the forerunner to the current OLG.ca, was only launched in, in 2016, as I recall. So uh, you're still talking about very early days uh, in terms of that aspect of their operations, certainly when compared to uh, their casinos, which first started in 1994, or lotteries, which started all the way back in 1975. So that's the OLG side of the question that you asked me. Uh, the other part of the question is you asked me what jumped out on, on me for the day. And I have to say, one of the things that's lingering for me after um, everything we heard and saw and read around April 4th um, is the number from the Ipsos poll that over the last three months, 85.3% of wagering was conducted on licensed and regulated sites. Great. Fantastic. That still means 14.7% of traffic in this province is going through gray market or even illegal sites. Uh, which I actually find to be a, a, a fairly astonishingly high number. I, I actually thought that uh, there'd be a greater displacement like that, but this speaks to the hold of a gray market that was in place for 12, 15, 20 years, um, and some sites that have built up significant customer databases um, over that time that refuse to submit to regulation that are holding on to those customers. And I, I, I slightly gobsmacked. Uh, that um, you know, a number as high as 15% um, is still wagering um, on many of those sites when faced with the possibility of, of wagering with any one of dozens of legalized and genomized sites that offer greater consumer protections, perhaps. Amanda? Uh, well, I guess on the OLG side, I think they absolutely need to start uh, 
sort of coming into the fold with the rest of us as we disclose our numbers uh, to IGO, those have to get folded in because we still have an incomplete total picture. Um, and until they align their reporting with ours, that's always going to be sort of, you know, the asterisks that IGO is going to have to put out with any of their results. So I'd love to see OLG get folded in. Um, and I'm also still perplexed why the land-based casinos can't partner with um, operators to build sports books. So uh, I give the OLG sort of partial marks for its success because I think it's still a bit of a, you know, they're, they're, it's not a level playing field that we're seeing, even though they are an operator and a competitor to us. So I think there's still some improvements that can be made. Uh, Mark, I think you want to chime in here? First of all, Will, like you are a tough act to follow. My goodness. I want to chime in about a couple panels that were I think, relevant to what I'm looking at more closely for our businesses today. So I'll start with the one on affiliates. Nick Selsky and JD McNamara and Andrew Garvin did an amazing job on that particular session. Nick really hit home for the entire room, you know, his interest in having licensed affiliates. There were some people who were, who were talking about that panel. And I think the message from there is be careful what you wish for, because uh, even if there was licensing around affiliates, it, it wouldn't change the marketing regulations. It, well, that was the chatter I was hearing at, at the after party. The other panel, which it was quite interesting to hear Stuart Johnston and Al Dark kind of agree that there is a, and I guess the word, and Steve mentioned it in the newsletter today, there is this word of collaboration, but it's just me speaking objectively, a little inside baseball, I guess. When there's only two sports broadcasters in the country and they're collaborating on basically setting the bar for ad loads on a network and then talking about it in a public forum, it just, it just makes you wonder what else are they collaborating on? And just, just really putting a thought out there as, as we all try to digest the changing broadcast landscape and how betting figures into it. Well, and just on that panel, Mark, I was really surprised that Catherine um, McLeod uh, basically thought it was good that the .NET advertising had decreased significantly when in fact where it should be is, is at zero. Because to Will's point about there still being some gray market operators is what did you call them rhymes with no frog steve is that what you said <laughs> um who are still who are still out there and refuse to come in and get licensed the fact that they still have net advertising on our major broadcasters is absolutely ludicrous so i think that's sort of you know a penny that still has to drop and i you know happy to bounce around some ideas for how we can <laughs> I'm laughing as I'm saying this, force the broadcasters um, or force Think TV not to clear any of them anymore because it's kind of what it's going to take is I, I was I was at a loss as to what team deals needed to be protected out West that was affecting the need for the .NET advertising. I mean, it just, it, I, I think it just still shows that, you know, there's still an impression that, well, a little bit of it is still okay, when in fact, none of it is okay right now. Well, man, I did want to bring up, uh, I just, uh, just as we were getting ready to start the show, I, I did stumble across uh, an article that Dave Briggs uh, published a little bit earlier, I guess, today on on Play Canada, and again, I would suggest uh, Dave and the editorial team at Play Canada has really comprehensive coverage of the first uh, the first year of the marketplace, and and there are links to I think five or six uh, stories on the PlayCanada.com site. Um, I guess uh, uh, Dave did a bit of a reality check on on the iGaming Ontario release from from Tuesday morning, and and the numbers, and um, and and again, I'll, I also want to make it clear that uh, the Dave, when he refers to numbers, mentions the fact that the Ontario 
uh, the OLG numbers aren't included in, in those LIGO numbers. And that number was about $511 million for the 2021-22 fiscal year. And uh, the expectation is that those numbers will be much higher in 2022-23. In um, but uh, Dave also mentioned in his article that, that Ontario, that you know, the, I think the headline from IGO was that uh, Ontario is a top five jurisdiction, and and Dave points out that Ontario is a is a distant, uh, you know, is a really distant fifth, and producing half the revenue of, of New Jersey and Pennsylvania, and about fifty five percent of the revenue Michigan's produce. And I'm, I'm quoting Dave's story here. Um, man, any any thoughts or comments on that and and again I just want in fairness to Dave he, he you know he also mentions and we've talked about this that this is Ontario's just one year in the market but I'd, I'd love to get your thoughts on that Amanda and Will. Well I think you know just you know New Jersey's been at this what 15 years Pennsylvania has been at this for like seven years so I think you know the more accurate comparison might have been year one for each of those jurisdictions because what we're looking at is Ontario's first year and the fact it cracked into, you know, the top five in its first year. Um, but those other jurisdictions that were mentioned have been at this um, longer, you know, especially New Jersey, who was one of the first. So, you know, as with everything, you can you can slice it and dice it many different ways. And, you know, I don't think that it's necessarily going to be ever an apples to apples comparison with Ontario to any other uh, U.S. jurisdiction. Um, but I think you know, what we were trying to do on that first anniversary and certainly what I go and AGCO were trying to do is just celebrate, you know, what was accomplished and what they were able to do. Because again, what you have in Ontario is trying to convince a whole bunch of gray market operators to come in and get licensed. And they knew they were not going to get a hundred percent channelization in their first year. So, you know, if you've got any of those other jurisdictions that are also dealing with that challenge where there's going to be some bleeding off of revenue to unlicensed operators. So, you know, that's as one example of, you know, maybe some differences in the, in the markets. So I think that, you know, there will always be those comparisons between Ontario and other multi-product states, but, you know, I will always kind of defend Ontario as saying it, it is pretty much unique in, in how it's had to open its market, what it was dealing with in the market. Um, and, you know, as I said to Martha, yes, we all acknowledge that some things aren't perfect. Yes, we acknowledge that there are things that still need to be fixed and addressed. But, you know, at least for April 4th, we were going to celebrate what we were able to do. Will, do you want to add to that? Yeah, 100%. Uh, before I speak about numbers, let me actually speak about another positive development over the first year um, of, of this new digital gaming landscape in Ontario and even the year leading up to it. Uh, and that's been the development um, of media uh, covering um, gaming news in Canada, he says on the Gaming News Canada show. Um, and, and, and Dave Briggs has, has uh, certainly been a leader in that respect. Steve, you've absolutely been a leader in that respect. Robin McNeil and Greg Warren um, have done great reporting. Um, I mean, I flash back six, seven years ago when I was looking around and, and leading inter in industry research efforts at OLG, um, and, and there was a scarcity of any news. And now we have incredible quality reporting um, about the industry here in Canada. Um, long, long time industry uh, uh, 
sites like CDC and SBC have entire pages dedicated to uh, uh, Canadian gaming news. So I think that's really wonderful. So I, I, my hat's off to you, Steve, to Dave, uh, and to the others that I mentioned there, and others that uh, I, I might have neglected to mention with my apologies. As far as the numbers are concerned, there are so many caveats that have to be applied to um, the numbers that are released here in Ontario. The, the biggest one of all is, especially when you're making jurisdictional comparators, is that there is no free money included um, in any of the figures here. There's, there's no promotional wagering totals. Um, a lot of times when you're looking at U.S. jurisdictions, um, for political, political optic reasons, uh, the numbers are inflated. Uh, by the free money that operators are throwing around and applying to players. So it's not actual money that's being reported. Um, it's a, a slightly distorted figure from the reality. Uh, here in Ontario, we actually have a very clear picture because there is no promotional or bonus wagering um, included in any of these totals. Uh, so I think that's that's actually a very good thing. It's, it's, it's a more precise picture. Um, but as we've acknowledged throughout this year, uh, the year-end total of $1.4 billion will only form a baseline because of the growth of the market throughout the 12-month period. Remember that on April 4th, 2022, there was only 12 operators with 12 sites that were ready at the green light. That number doubled in the next two months and then doubled again before the end of 2022. So what you're looking at is operators that were joining the party midway through contributing to a full year total with only partial year results. So as we think of fiscal year uh, 2024, April 1, 2023 to March 31st, April uh, March 31st, 2024, you're going to get a much more complete picture of what the market can render when you take X, which is the operator's under the purview of iGaming Ontario, plus Y, which is uh, the OLG's totals that run through the Ministry of Finance as opposed to uh, through iGaming Ontario, um, and regrettably, plus Z, which is the estimates of the remaining gray market. And I, my, my sincere hope is that a year from now, uh, that Z will be determinately less than it, than it has been. Great stuff, Will. Yeah, and with regards to the media, I'll just uh, I'll just add uh, Jeff Sakodney from Covers as well. Who and, and Jeff was yes, at, yes, uh, yes. Jeff was at the leaders forum on on Tuesday, uh, taking notes and slugging out like I like I was for the day. So, um, and but, the topic uh, of yeah. Jeff's logger quest as well. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. And my apologies um, to both. That, that I neglected to mention them up front. That's it's always a dangerous exercise to name names uh, because you'll you'll forget some of the most deserving as well. I, well, I want to cover a couple of other topics too. Uh, Dave Forrestal, the uh, the chairman of the board for IGO, got up at the end of the day to, to introduce uh, Ontario Attorney General Doug Downey. And and uh, you remember back in uh, early March, we reported a lot of discontent with operators over being uh, facing banking fees. It came as a surprise uh, being invoiced by by IGO. Uh, I guess related to due diligence and uh, Forrestal actually, Dave um, acknowledged that directly on Tuesday and, and said, quote, the, the banking fees were too high. We agree and, and that won't happen again. And if you had a chance to read Tuesday's newsletter, just I had a lot of conversations the last couple of weeks to, to, to write some uh, one year anniversary material for, for the newsletter and also talk about the podcast. And uh, one person had mentioned to me that they they thought that um, 
you know, one of the strengths of this market has been that the collaboration between the regu regulatory bodies and, and the operators. And uh, they pointed at this, uh, at this, these sudden banking charges as a bit of a step back in that communication and collaboration and consultation process. Um, Amanda, would you, would you agree with that? And then based on what Dave had to say on Tuesday, do you think maybe that's, that's a, a start towards, you know, resuming that spirit of collaboration? Well, I think one of the things we always talk about is transparency and there was no transparency with the operators on, you know, what Scotiabank was doing, the alleged, you know, in air quotes, due diligence they were undertaking that didn't involve contacting any operators. Um, so that was pretty murky. Uh, and then to be hit with the, the, the invoices with not much warning because operators have to accrue for these costs. We have, you know, if you're going to renew your license, we get, invoice twice a year by the AGCO for regulatory recovery fees. So you're trying to accrue for these costs, but when things just land on you with no warning, um, you know, you think about, you know, unexpected, you know, you know, plumbing work in your house, or you need a new roof all of a sudden, and you haven't saved for it. It's the same thing. I mean, it doesn't go over very well. So it was going to be a big problem. And I know just in conversations with, with Martha Otten, they were giving Scotiabank uh, loud signals that this was not okay and that they were going to lose the business. Um, and from what I understand, Scotiabank didn't care, didn't listen, whatever, did not change how it was operating. So they've moved over to BMO and Dave Forstel was quite clear in addressing a room full of operators that that will not happen again. So that was welcome news. But, you know, it was also, you know, going back to the early days of the market, lots of operators were having problems uh, opening bank accounts. It's a whole other conversation for another time about the problem with our banks and their risk departments. Um, but it was either, you know, try and find a different bank to come up to the table and understand things and understand the AML and all the rest of it, um, or go with Scotiabank and launch the market. So in, in making that decision and needing to get the market launched, um, that was just unfortunately one of the, one of the outcomes of it. So we certainly appreciate them recognizing that it was a problem and that, you know, a, a better sustainable solution had to be found, but yeah, I, I would say that was a, a bit of a misstep, but, you know, not enough to severely damage the relationship, not by a long shot. I want to spend a couple of minutes talking about uh, responsible gambling. I mean, there were two panels dedicated to the topic on uh, on Tuesday. Uh, there was discussion, Catherine McLeod in, in, the, uh, in this segment on advertising, panel on advertising mentioned the fact that, um, you know, the, that, that there was... Um, Part of, I guess, part of the deal with operators is that in in those commercials that they have to have reference to Connects Ontario. That's that's the twenty four seven hotline where where people can call if they're, they're looking for help with a gambling problem. Um, there was a story this week. I think we have a link to it in the newsletter that that there has been a rise in the number of of calls to Connects Ontario since the launch of the market. Um, I think maybe well I'll start with you. I think it's safe to assume that that's you know that that's as much um, an awareness factor that people now know that you, there is help through Connex Ontario, and it's, that's probably more the case and the reflection that there's uh, this subsequent increase in in problem gambling because we now have more operators in the marketplace. 
So I'm nodding vigorously at this end um, and saying advertising works. I mean, quite frankly, um, if there's an increase in number of calls to Connects Ontario, I attribute that more to the fact that their brand name and number is attached to every ad that operators um, put out in the marketplace here. Um, and so an influx of calls, I would actually suggest, um, relates more to uh, a greater, an increase in awareness as opposed to, you know, an issue with problem gambling. Uh, what I will tell you, um, geographically across jurisdictions and chronologically down through decades, uh, the rates of problem gambling don't change significantly. Um, it's typically under 3% is at a moderate risk of, of, of problem gambling and 0.7% of the overall population is at a severe risk. And that doesn't actually change substantively with the volume of commercial gambling that's available because quite frankly, um, you know, there have always been gambling opportunities available. Uh, problem gambling is actually rooted more um, in issues related to self-regulation um, a segment within the brain that, that, that deals with, with these issues. Um, I will often tell people that if someone is a problem gambler, the chances are that they're also likely a problem smoker, uh, might actually consume more Diet Coke in a day than, than would reasonably be expected, um, or you know, with the comorbidity of addictions, actually have any other number of issues that, 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 that come to bear regrettably. Um, but if there is an increase in calls to Connects Ontario, I actually think that's a good thing, and I think that's a function of the tagline being attached to ads uh, more than an increase in problem gamblers. Amanda, do you want to add to that? Yeah, I agree with Will. I don't see that as a bad thing because remember before we had a legal and regulated market, where were these people going for help? So I don't see that at all as a, as a bad thing. It means that our tools are being used. And it was interesting because our team was trying to figure out where to direct people uh, prior to launch. And knowing that the land-based casinos use Connects, um, that was the recommendation I'd given them. So it was interesting for me to learn from the uh, the advertising panel on Tuesday that that was actually somehow Think TV who suggested that. I don't know. It doesn't matter. The fact that we're all pointing in the same direction, I think, is fantastic. And like I said, it's it's proof that, as Will said, the advertising works and that people are absolutely understanding where to go to get help if they need it. So that's exactly what it was meant to do. The, the other piece of the of the RG puzzle is is the uh, it's endorsement deals uh, with uh, with athletes, past and present, and and other celebrities, whether they're musicians or or actors. And we've had f three or four people tell us over the past couple of weeks that. Um, you know, I think part of the discontent around the, around the advertising are are those celebrity ads, whether it's you know Wayne Gretzky representing ben, Bet MGM or or you know there's obviously been a lot of those types of commercials, and there was some rumblings that the AGCO might be getting involved and in, and in perhaps taking a bit of a harsher stance against uh, against current athletes and. Um, you know, we know the uh, Austin Matthews bet 99 deal and Connor McDavid's got a bet MGM deal and sports interaction. I think back in January brought brought Mitch Marner on board as a, as a brand ambassador. Um, uh, Amanda, have you heard anything along uh, along that front? And, and again, it just we this has been, a, I think, a, a real hobby horse for this for this form here uh, on LinkedIn audio and. Um, I think we've, there's been consensus is that uh, the the industry would be better would b better serve itself by being a little bit pro more proactive in this area. 
Yeah, I think, you know, that is something that we're all waiting to see what the AGCO does. We do know that the AGCO uh, has met about this internally. Um, you know, there are lots of examples across the pond uh, from other European jurisdictions that have taken very sort of severe uh, actions against the use of celebrities or athletes. Um, so given the AGCO's um, past behavior, um, I would suspect that there's probably going to be some form of consultation with the industry that will happen on this topic. What they decide to do, I have no idea. It could be that they just decide that active athletes uh, should be uh, prohibited from taking any kind of sponsorship or partnership contract with a sportsbook operator, um, but retired athletes are okay. So um, that would be one way of maybe just splitting it down the middle. But like I said, I, I suspect there'll be some form of consultation that will come out because that is how the AGCO has, has treated all the issues uh, up to this point in time. Um, but where the uh, where they'll land um, in terms of their decision making on this, I don't know. Um, I would say that given that these athletes are all hockey players and the season's coming to an end, you know, we'll probably have a you know decision made in the next couple months before there there can be any you know re-signing of contracts for the next season. Uh, well, yeah, two things here that I don't think necessarily directly address your question, but are, are tangentially. Uh, related to it. Um, first and foremost, um, the issue of, of current day active athletes participating in sports betting advertising to me has always been a bit of a conundrum uh, because um, we've worked so hard down through the decades to address the issue of sports integrity to then have active athletes participating um, in this way. Uh, that, that always struck me as being, you know, uh, a bit of a hard hard thing to to swallow with because of all the issues related to sports integrity uh, that that could arise. Um, but one of the more fascinating things about sports betting as it relates to pro athletes, I think, rose in an article recently by Thomas Hall from Yahoo, um, talking to uh, Chris Boucher of the Raptors, who right. you know uh, the uh, uh, Boucher talked about through social media since the rise of legalized betting, um, he feels like he's been more of a target um, from of, of hateful messages uh, and that it, that he believes they're they're tied back to to betting issues. Um, and so you, you sort of have a new dynamic in the relationship and fan engagement uh, between fan and pro athlete. Uh, where fans are now viewing athletes in a certain certain lens, um, and that being uh, not just uh, sort of the emotional investment of cheering for their favorite team, but the financial investment of betting on their favorite team and perhaps not having it go their way. Um, and so there's a lot of work to be done here and a lot of ground to travel um, and a lot of really interesting and thorny issues to sort through um, as we uh, uh, proceed through the next 12 months and beyond. Yeah, off one of your points, well, I was quite surprised to see over the weekend the, the news about the uh, new collective bargaining agreement between the NBA and its Players Association is that uh, with players will now be allowed to uh, uh, to do endorsement deals with sports betting operators or they can invest in those operators. So that, that was a bit of an eye, uh, an eyebrow raiser. Um, Mark, so I want to ask you, I think one of the, you know, one of the comments made about the AGCO getting involved in this is that, you know, someone said to me, like, how, what's your definition of a, uh, you know, a celebrity who might influence under, underage people or, or aren't old enough to bet? And, 
And uh, we live in a world today with, uh, you know, it's not, not just athletes or, um, or, or actors or, or musicians. I mean, there are a lot of social media influencers out there, people who have uh, hundreds, if not millions of, of followers. So uh, that just seems to be a really slippery slope for any regulator to go down. I completely agree, Steve. I mean, it doesn't really matter what we're talking about with regulation, be it alcohol, cannabis, obviously betting the, for, the form that we're talking about here. And, and I'll point back to something that was said on the advertising panel, and it wasn't a surprise, but it was, it was good that um, TSN, you know, drew a line in the sand with, with Bar Down. You know, I'm, as, a, as a parent of a, of a 12-year-old boy, I can tell you Bar Down is a, is a big part of the culture, whether it's on TikTok or, or Instagram. And to have a brand like that, uh, show betting related content and, and encourage it would be very very disappointing so i was very happy to hear stewart describe that that's just not what they're going to do with that brand but on the same side of things steve when we look at that brand we look at individual influencers you know sure my son is 12 years old today but if he was 16 or if he was 18 he was about to be 19 i mean evidently you know these kids are going to grow up they're going to make choices and the decisions that they're making about who to follow, what brand to buy, what sports team they favor, you know, these are all the kind of decisions that are being made at these formative years. And so it's incredibly dangerous to allow these these athletes or influencers in general to, to not be governed in one way or another. And in the US, the FCC has coverage over influencers. I don't know how much they enforce that in Canada, the advertising standards. And so I suspect that the advertising standards in Canada does not have the resources to go and police this the same way that you know the AGCO has the resources in our category or or maybe in alcohol and so in general i just don't know that government is willing to do what's necessary to protect you know those at risk regardless of age from influence of of celebrity i mean well another topic i want i want to talk about quickly i, I wrote about it in the, in tuesday's newsletter is um you know, one thing that I think that's, as Will mentioned earlier, there's been really good editorial coverage of this industry over the last two years and a lot of good people doing really good work. Um, but that's that's been supported uh, in large part to the the access that, that uh, not only myself, but, but, but Dave Briggs and Jeff Zaccotti and Robin McNeil and, and the other people who cover this industry that we, that we have to, uh, to CEOs and and vice presidents and other uh, people in positions of power, and uh, certainly for uh, speaking for myself, um, both uh, both Amanda and Will and and Paul Burns and and Troy Ross, and I, I think of others in the industry have been incredibly helpful and in, in educating me about this industry and and being you know in the case of Amanda Will being willing to hop in here every week and and talk about the uh, the issues of of the week. Um, Two, you know, two sectors that haven't been nearly as forthcoming as I think, as I would like them to be, is the AGCO and and I go and um, again, I think for the most part, this industry has a really good story to tell. And uh, I will say, in fairness, again, these these are both government agencies, and and we see we see how government governments tend to deal with the media these days. And uh, I just wonder, Amanda, if that's something where where you would like to see the AGCO and and I go be maybe a little bit more proactive in and how they communicate their messaging. It's an interesting question. I think, you know, like, Will, I've worked in this industry in a long time in this province, and you sometimes just get into this rut of it's always been that way. Um, and, 
you know, they have their official communications channels and their official spokespeople like Ray Connor. Um, and that's just the way it's always worked. Um, and that's a lousy reason for things to always stay the same. And it's a lousy reason not to challenge it to be different. Uh, we will have a new regulator in place in the fall. Maybe that's something that can be broached and approached um, with whomever takes over Tom, Tom Mungham's job. But I think now that, you know, I go and AGCO can breathe a sigh of relief because, you know, the other thing too is you they had all the eyes of all the other provinces on them for this last year. There were probably some people in those provinces who were actively rooting for Ontario to fail so they could justify holding on to their monopolies for another, you know, 100 years. Um, and the fact that there were no major AML issues, I have heard of no AML issues, which meant there was no money laundering going on or if there were attempts, they were caught before anything could happen. I didn't hear any reports of underage minors opening accounts and, and gambling away with their parents' credit cards. So it means on the really important things um, that had they gone wrong could have been disastrous, they didn't. So I think too that now that they have been able to prove that the sky did not fall in and that they can build this market successfully and this industry successfully, um, there might be a collective sigh of relief and some loosening of the strings. I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I'm hoping, I'm guessing. So it could be, uh, Steve, that going forward into this year, um, they'll be more amenable to speak. Um, you had mentioned you'd reached out to, to Mitch. Um, and I hope that that's the case. I hope that they realize, to your point, there's a really good story to tell. And now's the time to start telling it. Uh, well, so I approach all of this from a slightly different angle, that of you know a person who worked nearly a dozen years at a crown agency, where our fiscal results were typically tabulated at year end and disclosed a couple months later in an annual report. Uh, so sometimes you are dealing with disclosures related to material that actually started or is conceived uh, 15 or 16 months previously and then took place uh, over the balance of the 12 months that followed. Um, I've actually thought that you know what iGaming Ontario has done in releasing quarterly results to, to be quite forthcoming and, 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 and uh, um, uh, quite accommodating, particularly when viewed against other government institutions. I mean, I, I would challenge any of you to go and find, you know, if, say, for instance, the LCBO, um, does quarterly disclosures. I don't know if they do or not. I'm, 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 I'm guessing not. Uh, but uh, so, you know, and, and yes, you don't want to fall into the rut that Amanda mentioned of, you know, that's the way we've always done it. So that's the way we'll continue to do it. Uh, but as, as I sort of sit and think about disclosures and providing greater measures of detail, um, you know, does that news then become sort of a boy to one business over the other? For instance, if you actually start delineating by operator who's earning what and who's contributing to the uh, overall gross gaming revenue or even the uh, uh, the larger number, the wagering figures, um, does that actually, you know, sort of entice a consumer to go to that uh, product more than the others? Um, does it become sort of an indirect form of advertising um, with the greater le measure of detail that you add in? So um, I, I, I see the arguments in favor of disclosing more, uh, but um, in the past, um, I've not really heard many objections to the way the government has handled its business. And, and by government, I'm actually referring to almost all political stripes because they've all done things uh, much the same way um, as it relates to, uh, to OLG and some of the other uh, revenue generating crown agencies.
Yeah, I think what, what we saw Tuesday, well, there were some baby steps taken. Uh, you know, Martha Otten and also the press release from IGO gave a little bit more information in, in that report about uh, looking at which sports are most popular with Ontario better so far. And they, they also broke down uh, the, how which online ca- casino games are, are most popular. And, and I think what for those of us who cover the industry, we look at what's happened in the U.S. where we, you get pretty robust metrics every month from from the various states and their their gaming commissions and and uh, at the same time i'm sensitive to the fact that uh you know i go probably doesn't want to be putting out information that may uh uh you know may have an impact on on publicly traded companies and and share prices so yeah I, i agree there's certainly certainly a fine line to to walk there um, I just think they're really smart, some smart people there, you know, Mar- I've, everything I've seen of, from Martha at, at conferences, is that a really impressive woman who's done a great job um, building IGO on very, very quickly. Uh, Mitch Davidson is a former chief of staff who, who's dealt with media in the past also at, the, at IGO. And I, I look at people like Dave Phillips, who spoke on Tuesday, and Brent McCurdy and, and Doug Hood, and I think those two organizations are really well represented with some smart people. And we, I think we, I speak on behalf of all of us who cover the industry. We just have to have a little, little more access to those, those people for, for the, the various forms we, we write for or, or cover. So um, we'll leave, uh, we'll leave that topic uh, topic there. Um, maybe just actually, like, wait, Steve, yeah, go ahead, well, yeah. because there was one thing you did mention that there was a disclosure on, the wagering by sport. And and that actually did jump off the page to me uh, because by far and away, the number one sport was basketball, which I will tell you is, is absolutely stunning to me uh, because historically in Ontario, I can tell you from years at OLG um, and all the way across North America, uh, by far and away, the gambling leader is pro football. Um, and so how it was between April 4th, 2022 and uh, March 31st, 2023, that basketball doubled the percentage, the next closest percentage was, was slightly amazing to me and perhaps revealing of, of interest in this province um, tied to the demographics that actually engage in sports betting. I mean, I've often heard that basketball is, is going to surpass uh, hockey in popularity um, someday because of shifting demographics here in Ontario. And, and, and I've always sort of accepted that that might be the case. Uh, but then to see it on the page where, you know, basketball so far outnumbers all the other sports in betting, that, that was uh, slightly stunning to me. Yeah, basketball was at 28%, Will, of, of, of uh, sports betting wagers. And and followed next by soccer at 15%. So I know both Mark and I are waiting for an, I told you so, uh, email or note over Slack from, from Kevin Kennedy, our executive producer at Homestand Sports, because we, we have invested quite heavily in, in soccer and, uh, and, and rightly, rightly so it would, uh, it would appear. Um, I want to start with you here, Will, and uh, we'll go around the horn. Just looking towards year two, and are there one or two things that you're, you know, you look forward to to following, and and how we continue to see this industry evolve over the next twelve months? Absolutely. Um, to me, the most noteworthy aspect of the next twelve months will be the receptiveness of other provinces to Ontario's model, um, and whether we will see decision makers and lawmakers in other provinces that decide to cede what essentially has been a a long-standing legislative monopoly over lawful gambling 
and open up their digital gaming borders um, and allow others in. In the interest of increased uh, revenues to the coffers of the province, in the interest of economic development, and in the interest of job creation, because there is now a wellspring of empirical data and evidence here in Ontario that all of those things have happened in abundance um, in, in this particular province, um, and that the numbers do continue to grow as, as different folks um, have joined what is a largely regulated framework. Um, and, and you'll, you'll ha have people now, particularly in the wake of a pandemic that played such havoc with provincial budgets, uh, wondering about, okay, do I continue with the model where I have my designate crown agency um, hold a monopoly over lawful gambling, or at least a quasi-monopoly, um, or uh, do I allow others in? And I think probably the most telling aspect from Ontario to those other provinces will be, and we circling all the way back to the beginning of our discussion, will be the performance of OLG. I mean, um, if, if and I take Dave at his word that their customer base and their revenues have continued to grow and against uh, competition. If that's the case, and you know the other revenue that you're bringing in is entirely repatriated funds that hasn't otherwise influenced um, the standard in the industry, i.e. the government-run crown agency, well, then it's hard to argue against what's been put in place here. And it will be very difficult for other provinces to sort of say, yep, we're going to keep doing what we've done because that's the way we've always done it. Amanda? Well, I think the uh, province-wide self-exclusion program is going to become even more urgent um, if we don't get news soon from IGO. Because as I've said, there's nothing stopping a customer from self-excluding from one operator and just going down the street and opening an account with another. Um, I think what Martha was talking about, the minimally viable product that they launched with, um, if they don't get some automation coming in soon for some of the reporting that has to be done, that's going to, you know, be a, a challenge. And I mention these only because one of the key things about attracting more operators in the market and keeping operators from leaving the market is to make this frictionless, as, as frictionless as possible for them, as easy as possible for them to succeed. And right now there are a couple of really big things that are, are making it kind of clunky. Um, for every operator of every shape and size. And then, yeah, I do echo what Will was saying. I mean, I, I don't know how any other um, province could look at what's happened in Ontario and call it a failure. And I think even more important than OLG2 is looking at our land-based casinos and how their business hasn't been cannibalized. That was the other concern that right. had been leveled against um, this industry opening. And the fact that everyone has been able to give a chance, you know, get a chance to succeed, you know, again, keeping aside the lack of open sports books at casinos, but again, the conversation for another day in time. But I think that, you know, watching what Ontario did in the first year should provide reassurances against some of those valid concerns, but the fact that they did not come true. And so I think it, it starts to really remove any of the last remaining arguments about why, um, another province shouldn't follow in Ontario's footsteps. Uh, Mark, I, on the media side, I would suggest that we've seen a, a slow evolution of, of that, the integration of sports betting and, and sport, sports content that, that we've seen, not, not just on a network, but with businesses like our business at Homestand Sports. And I, I know you, you have some thoughts on that as we look ahead in the next 12 months. 
I think you're bang on, Steve. Assuming that sports betting will naturally find its way into sports programming, as we've seen the adjustment on Sportsnet in the last few weeks with SN bets going away. The bigger thing to pay attention to is you know, something like a couple weeks ago with Tim and Friends going off the air and this focus on highlight shows and live programming and completely moving away from any kind of personality-driven content. We all grew up with the broadcasters that are very much the memories of my youth are uh, because of who they are and what they displayed of themselves on TV. But what we're seeing right now is a continued erosion of the subscription TV, traditional linear business. And at least in this country, we have not seen the adoption of direct-to-consumer as a way to replace that revenue. And the audiences are smaller, so the advertising revenue is smaller as well. So that will continue to be a story to watch. But again, I think we might have said it on this forum before. If not, well... We'll say it for the first time, there is a pending tidal wave of change that is going to be coming to this country when the NHL national broadcast rights are up for renewal, which that all transitioned in just three seasons, and that deal will likely be done in about two years from now, and that will change things. And so that's, that's kind of the one point to put out there about the traditional landscape of your Sportsnet and TSN is only going to continue to be something to focus on as iGaming and sports betting operators look to reach an audience in a very expensive way. And the other part of this and this affects both the operators themselves as well as the ecosystem around the operators, Parley Media Group included in this mix, is the ever-rising cost of debt and capital to be able to sustain your business while we all wait for the revenue opportunities to come to fruition. And so again, another thing to watch, I think with CoolBet's exit from our market recently, that was the storyline about the share price going down to the point where it didn't make a lot of sense for uh, investment. Just to put into perspective, there are strong headwinds that the ecosystem is facing to support the rollout of sports betting across this country. Before we end, I'll just add that, uh, you know, I, I look forward to kind of watching the continued economic development that this uh, this industry provides to the province over the next year. I believe Benji Levy said on Tuesday that the score has hired 400 employees over the last year and 75% of those were, were Ontario. I bumped into Lindsay Slater from GeoComply on, on Tuesday morning and we were talking uh, you know, rehashing the story of Geo Comply relocating employees from Ukraine last year and opening up an office in Toronto. And she was saying that they may have already run out of room at, at the space they're currently in in Liberty Village and they, they may be looking for new office space soon. That, that's a great story. And, and we've often talked about the, uh, you know, the engineering and, and technology um, and data hubs, not just here in Toronto, but in places like Waterloo and across different parts of the country from, from coast to coast. So let's wrap it up there. Uh, Amanda Brewer from Kinder Group, Will Hill from Sightline Payments, uh, Mark Silver from Parley Media Group. Uh, re- really, really appreciate your time this week. Um, we, we, we asked the three of you to cover a lot of real estate for us and and you as always you did so with uh with a lot of a lot of smarts a lot of wisdom a lot of insight uh so thank you for that wishing our audience uh to to our friends in the jewish community a very very happy passover uh wishing everyone a a happy easter weekend if you're going to be driving with with family and friends please be very careful out there uh, have a great long weekend, and as always, if you uh, if you aren't doing so already, please subscribe to the Gaming News Canada newsletter. Uh, have a great weekend, everybody, and we'll see you uh, next Thursday. Thank you for listening to the Gaming News Canada show. 
Sign up for our newsletter at gamingnewscanada.ca. Follow Steve McAllister on LinkedIn to join the live audience. Message Steve if you're interested in being a sponsor or featured guest.